Welcome to DJ Grandpa's Crib, the podcast of Kickstarter, the crowdfunding website. Each week I interview real people with honest dreams. Today is Monday, September 2nd, 2013. During this week in history, in 1813, Uncle Sam became the nickname for the United States government. Uncle Sam was named after Samuel Wilson, a meatpacker from Troy, New York, known for his kind and jovial personality. Dude, I never knew that, and I wonder what else I don't know. So, what is Data Hacker? The series began with Initiation, also a Kickstarter-funded title, with an average rating on Desora of 8.6 and a slew of positive comments. I'd like to announce that we didn't disappoint. How's it going, dude? Initiation Not bad, man, yeah. Now, shall I call you Ross? You can call me whatever you like. <laughs> shall I call you new to the gaming world, or, you know, just pro-level? Actually, I kind of dropped out of the whole industry for a while. I started studying computer games design at university, but I consider myself a writer before anything else, so right. it's just that games are the medium I choose to portray my stories, because I, I hate writing novels. Right. Because I find that quite boring. And I've got quite a, a poor memory, so it helps that if I've got it there on a game, I can go back and replay part of the game so I can make sure there's no plot holes. <laughs> you do a lot for self. Well, I suppose I'm a jack of all trades and a master of none. So is DJ Grandpa, man. So is DJ. <laughs> you know, you said something that was really cool, but it's... See, I should have written it down. I should have written it down. <laughs> no, you, you said about the whole novel thing, about games being like novels, and I never realized that. You know, until I started doing the podcast, and I didn't realize it then, but I real I realize it now. I guess progression, and these games are like novels. They're like movies, you know. <laughs> and it's in, it's insane. I never imagined it, or I, I guess I never had the foresight to imagine that it would get to this point. Yeah, well, I suppose more and more nowadays that people, I mean, not not many people read nowadays, as daft as that sounds. Right. But, I mean, the RPG crowd, is it's a very devoted crowd, and the games that I produce may not entice hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of players, right. but the people that do play it love it and are quite loyal to it, I guess. Yeah. Uh, you know, they're raving about it. Right. Initiation, which is the prequel to Corruption, um, is up on Desora, and it's got an average review of 8.6 out of 10. Mm -hmm. It's a very standard, very kind of Mickey Mouse tool set, if you like. Right. But it's the story that really hooks people and the gameplay that keeps them keeps them there. Hey, where, where are you from in, in the UK? Stoke-on-Trent, which ah. is an ex-industrial town with very little work. Okay, because I, I didn't know how to pronounce it, but it, it looks so cool. So I was like, man, that's a cool name, Stoke-on-Trent. <laughs> It's really not a nice place. <laughs> I never said it wasn't a hole in the wall, but it does have, you know, as far as marketing and the name, I see how people could get stuck there. You know, it's like you look at a map and it's like, let's go to Stokenton. And then, <laughs> I'd be more inclined to go and hang around London or um, somewhere a bit. Right, right. But, you know, sometimes people want to be just, 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 you know, they want to be troubled. They're like, everybody goes to London and you know they they may be drinking or something. Let's go! To, oh man, the place sounds so cool. You know, just just imagine. You know, that's how I would get stuck there. See? Yeah, you might come and visit, but I don't think you get stuck here. <laughs> <laughs>
that's true. I, I wouldn't get stuck to it. That's, you, You'd make right your excuses that. and promptly leave, I think. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, so you're right. You know me already. You must have been listening to a cast <laughs> or something, man. Okay. Now, another thing about your game, Data Hacker, not even about the game, but about the video. Because how you talk about people don't read or whatever. Okay. DJ Grandpa doesn't really read a lot. He studies a lot and he goes through a lot of content every week. He reads a lot of headlines and he reads like a paragraph or two. But if it's like, um, if it's like, like a, a long love letter or something, you know, something like that, DJ Grandpa doesn't really, he doesn't, a novel, he doesn't really read those. I mean, not, nothing against the industry, even though it's in decline. So to make a long story short, what I'm trying to say is your video was super cool. Well, the first part was weird because it was like this little car on a bridge or something. It was driving for like 20 miles or something. But I, <laughs> I didn't get that point. But what drew me into your data hacker was your voice was just so calm. It was like the nicest voice I had ever heard, you know, that morning. Thanks, man. Yeah. So I was like, I got to talk to this guy. Just his voice alone. It just drew me in. Are you really like that, like the voice, or like when you're at home, you just kind of like, or in public, you're just kind of like losing it, cursing all the time, uh, kicking stuff <laughs> around, you know, pushing people out of the way. I'm a nice guy most of the time, but I've got three very young children, and they do push you over the educationally. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> I didn't want a big flashy video with me talking in the background. I wanted me to be talking in the foreground with a little bit of uh, imagery to just show that it's it's not like every other game out there. You did that. Half of the game is a completely almost futuristic, however dystopian right. um, setting. The rest of it's high fantasy. The video said like you could be a couple inside the data hacker world and you might want to conceive a child or something like that, but it doesn't have one so you'd have to, <laughs> um, you'd have to well, I mean, I guess that's how life is. You'd have to put one together, but, but you'd have to put one together inside the game somehow. Yeah, basically, the game features two completely different storylines. Basically, in the first game, you could make certain decisions that would get you a different ending, and then this game carries on from that. But there's plenty of information in Corruption for you to be able to just start a new game. Right. So there are two completely different sides of it. One is the online game um, which is situated within and the other is a digital realm it's a digitized version of our world i suppose okay complete with its own inhabitants and it's up to you kind of to decide whether or not their life has value because they're not tangible so as the hacker if there is any systems that aren't in place and there's something that you want then it's up to you to go and find out how you can make that come true you know i missed your first game sorry about that that's oh. okay <laughs> There's no no malice and no malice involved. Lots of people did. Do you feel like you're growing? Do you feel the noise increasing? It's getting louder somehow. Um, yes, in some ways. Um, the response when I posted this campaign up from people who were already entitled to a, a copy of the game uh, was amazing. We hit the target in 27 hours. Oh, cool! Kickstarter itself is a great way not only to raise cash but also to get some free publicity because my first campaign got something around 6,000 views on the video and 6,000 views, let's say you, you were advertising through Facebook or something like that, that's going to cost you hundreds of pounds, dollars, whatever. So I just want to kind of build something up from the ground up for myself where I can maintain complete control, which never mm. actually happens because as soon as you've got customers and fans, 
you've got to do fan service as well. Such is life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And now, is there anything else? Would you like to say hello to your backers? Uh, I'd definitely like to say thank you for believing in me, really. I hope I don't disappoint. Hey, you told me you wouldn't disappoint. What is this? Are you backsliding now? <laughs> you didn't say that in the video. You talked about, you bragged about how how your ratings were like top notch. You're not backsliding now, are you? <laughs> You're getting quiet, man. No chuckles. Pushing me back into a corner. I want you to stand <laughs> behind your product. That's what I'm trying to get you to do. <laughs> okay, I, I promise I will not disappoint. Okay, that's what DJ Grandpa likes to hear, you know. We want people to take a, put a little skin in the game, as they would say. Now, for anyone out there who likes, you know, 2D video games, which this one is, unless he corrects me and says I'm wrong, but it, it looks pretty cool. He has a very, oh, that's right, and he was trying to back out of things after I said how great of a voice he had. It's not like I don't remember all of those things. But go to kickstarter.com and type in data hacker. It'll pull up a 2D game and it has the loveliest voice in there I've ever heard. So if you can't find it there, go to djgrandpa.com and we'll post links. Ross, it's been a pleasure, man, and thanks for coming on the show and I hope the, you know, I hope the whole industry and the economy of your town in Stoke on Trent picks up and stuff. So, you know, people have jobs. Thanks for having me. Hi, I'm Jerry Rackinator. I'm an independent filmmaker along with my husband, Perry. We really enjoy doing films that encourage and inspire our audience. Our last film was a 40-minute short called Cleansing Rain, and it was used in alcohol recovery programs across the nation. Yeah, I think I'll just call you Jerry. We really don't use last names on the show so much because because I'd screw them up. (laughs) So it makes it easier for me if I just use people's first names. (laughs) (laughs) And you are a filmmaker. That's true. I am. Are you a documentary filmmaker? My background is in photojournalism. So I do have that bent about me, but mostly what I create now is fiction. It's all made up. And what does your husband do, Perry? What does this Perry guy do? He's the one who wrote the script and he's going to be the co-producer of the film and he's my main squeeze so the name of your film is called titans of ps 271 it almost sounds military i never thought of it being military sounding we wanted to make it strong because the characters in the film start out as kind of weak and they're being bullied around you know by the school bully a little bit they takes him on and so we wanted to give them a strong name Oh, okay. P.S. 271, Public School 271. And the P.S. has two meanings. It's the Public School 271, but it is also Psalms 27.1. What is the Psalms 271? What does that passage mean? Psalms 27.1 is, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? So it's about not being afraid. And that relates to your film because people are generally afraid of people who are bullies. Yeah, and we're trying to encourage the middle schooler and the high schooler to be comfortable in their own skin and to not fear what the people around them think of them. Just to be strong in who they are and and know that they're valuable. I keep saying we try and give people with a different voice a chance. Mm -hmm. So I kind of also wanted that to be, you know, every so often... 
people who did Christian films or maybe a person who does Christian music, you know? Mm-hmm. But you don't care about that. You, you're, <laughs> you're here to sell your film. So, so why don't you tell me more, you know, either more about you or your husband or your, your whole burgeoning film company? I remember how hard it was to be in middle school and in high school. I would never go back. I have friends that say I would go back in a heartbeat. And that's one place I'd never go back because it was so it was so awkward and it was a hard time. So we thought we would, you know, take on this this middle school idea. And it's kind of a, an odd film. It's kind of bizarre. You haven't seen a middle school like this one before. Why would you say that? For instance, the principal is a big tattooed burly guy with big muscles who spends his time trying to make his muscles bigger and not really run the school. The home ec teacher is always having 911 called because of some crazy project that her students have put together. And you're not really thinking home ec and crazy projects that would land you in the hospital, but her students are making uh, fish that, like pillow fish that can transport her in time. It's just very strange. And the main character is hoping to gain some popularity by winning the school's paper football tournament that happens every year. Right. You know, I'm thinking paper football, that's kind of an old game. But the way we present it is kind of funny. You know, like the muscle-bound principal guy, he's in the tournament, and when he hits his paper football, it turns into flames because it's so strong and goes so fast, it catches fire. This is starting to sound a little crazy, you know. It is crazy. It's got so many twists and turns. It's just a kind of a bizarre story. And it's all out of the mind of Perry. Yes. Husband slash main squeeze. Yes. Yeah, he's a little creative there. I see why you said he's a creative sort. He's very creative. I, I had a hard time wrapping my mind around it. But again, you know, our target audience is middle school and high school. So we're hoping that they'll enjoy it. And we've, you know, sent it off to some of our young friends to read. And, and they come back and say they just love it. So we're, we're very excited about it. Christian filmmakers, do you guys try and proselytize any? I'm, I'm thinking, like, if you're Christian filmmakers, everything you, you do must lead back to the Bible in some way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. Do you guys do that? We do have certainly Christian themes in it, but it's not a preachy film. You know, the last film that we did was a little more on the preachy side. You know, it, it quoted the Bible a lot. There was a lot of scripture quoted. And at the end of that film, they were trying to, to bring the guy to Jesus. And, and he did. He came to Jesus. But this one's not like that. It's not a movie that when you go see it, you're going to be beat over the head with the gospel message. And we think that the gospel message is very important. And we, we of course, are you have that, to. Yeah, I mean, we're Christian filmmakers. Right. We, we're doing this to glorify God, but we're not trying to shove it down someone's throat. We're trying to make fun entertainment to encourage kids. So for anyone out there who's been maybe a victim of bullying or who's bullied, this film is for you. It's, it's targeted right at you. It's marketed right at you. So I'd say go to kickstarter.com and check out Titans of PS271. It still sounds like one of those Mikhail Navy type of titles, but it's not. It's about public school and bullying. And if you can't find it there, you can go to djgrandpa.com where we'll post links for Jerry and her husband, Perry, her main squeeze. And I've, I've never used that phrase, main squeeze, before in my life. But um, Jerry, thanks for coming on the show, and I wish you the best. Thank you so much. Hi, I'm Brian John Mitchell. I make these mini comics about the size of a pack of matches. 
I've been, made about 80 of them now over the years, and I'm running this Kickstarter to try and finance the next 20 that I'm going to be making. They vary in genre from western to science fiction to autobiographical to horror. Um, hey, sir, what's going on? How's it going, man? I'm all right. And I checked out the the mini comics, and they're pretty cool too, man. I like yeah, those. Yeah, I, I picked the sci-fi ones because I know you said sci-fi is like your secret interest category. I got you. And this is a whole series for you. You've done it like, this is like your third time, right? Uh, with the comics? Right, comics. Yeah, I think this is my third comic Kickstarter. The first one was for, I think I had 60 at the time, and I was making a, a box set that I bought all these cigar boxes and uh, did finishing oil and stuff on them and then put 60 comics inside. I like the direction you're headed in. It's pretty cool. You know, I'm not even judging the content so much, right? <laughs> no, no, seriously, I'm not even really judging the content. I'm judging the quality and... I guess I'm also judging you living up to the words that we talk about during our conversations. Yeah. That's why I was like, I was a stickler on the pictures. And when I saw the quote, I was like, okay, he's trying to manipulate me there. Okay, I like that. I like that. But then I was like, I'm looking on the, the, the first pick on the video and I see no quarter. But then today I realized the book of matches. So I was like, he oh, got well, me one. again. You know, it's like marketing 101 or something. And so I, I thought that was cool. And, and I was like telling people, I was telling my children, he's the microfinancing guru on Kickstarter. I was like, I have to follow this guy. Yeah, I'm trying to learn lessons from what's been successful with me for Kickstarter and right. to replicate the stuff that's been successful and then add on to it. So this is the first time that I'm trying to actually run some ad campaigns semi-seriously for this. I don't know if you know Project Wonderful, that it's a popular ad platform for web comics. No, I don't know that one. I have to look it up. Their process is weird in that it's like you bid the amount that you want and you have the ad until somebody outbids you. So right. there are a lot of ads you can get for only a penny. I uh, bid on like 100 ads that are a penny apiece, you know, 100 different websites. That's only an investment of a dollar, you know. Right. You know, so we'll see if, if things like that are, end up adding on or not. I've done some more stuff with joining some Kickstarter forums. And, you know, like the first Kickstarter I did for the comics was my most successful Kickstarter. Right. And I didn't really know what I was doing on that one, but I got lucky because I ended up getting a Kickstarter pick. So now I'm trying, one of the things I'm really trying to do is I've read up on what causes something to be a Kickstarter pick right now. And I'm trying to manipulate those numbers a little bit that supposedly right. it's like based on facebook shares is one of the big things so i'm trying to get more facebook shares and uh, one of the other big things is the video being played in its entirety gotcha and so from that standpoint it's like oh you want this video to be super short so that people don't have a chance to stop it now we've totally forgotten to talk about your project though we've been playing around <laughs> and you know, all of that, marketing 101, you know, you're great, I'm great, you're great, I'm great. But we, we haven't really talked about your comics. What is this mini comic book series about, you know? So I make these comics. They're the size of a pack of matches, as the project description says. I started um back in 2003 for this project for the San Jose Museum of Art. I used to do this zine called QRD. Right. And I'd stopped doing it, and they were doing this big zine expo. And they asked me if I had anything new to contribute because they wanted it to be all brand new stuff. You know, like 
my thing in the early 2000s was like the purpose of a zine as just disseminating information would have collapsed in my eyes because the web is way better at doing that. And so my idea was, well, if I was going to do a zine, what would it need to do? And I was like, well, I would want something where the size of the object was really unique and important to itself. And since I'm basically exclusively making it for these people, I want it to be something that's not expensive for me to make. And I can make a 48-page mini-comic out of a single sheet of paper. Obviously, you need to cut it up, and it's <laughs> yeah. a lot of work doing that part. But for a quarter, you, you can make a comic, but you need to do a lot of work with your scissors and everything to get that part. So that's where I started with making them. And then that was an autobio comic. I was just making autobio comics for a while, and I got some reviews where people were like, well, this is a really interesting format for autobio comics, but it wouldn't work with anything else. And I was, and you know, you take that as a challenge. Oh yeah, yeah. And so yeah. that's how I, how I started making the crime books and the science fiction books and the horror books because, the gauntlet. Like, and because I can only draw stick figures in general, you know, that meant I, <laughs> I had to hire some other artists to help work with me right. to, you know, like get the books out. And so, you know, all of a sudden, you know, ten years later, I have eighty comics out. And I'm trying to pick it up and go ahead and get 20 done in the next, like, nine months or so. Now, are these comics, they're not for kids, right? Oh, uh, no, no. I didn't no, think no, so. No, no, no. Well, I mean, it depends on your kid. No, 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 no. It doesn't <laughs> depend on my kid. Very funny. My signs at the conventions that I have on my table say, as family-friendly as Dawn of the Dead. I still say I have to be impressed by the way you do business, and I think that's totally cool. And you're part of this whole make-aware revolution where people are making things that they value by hand and not just sending it out to be done by someone else. So I think that's totally cool. And for people who are into that, which I know there are, because Kickstarter is full of that. Go to kickstarter.com and check out mini comics the size of a pack of matches. And I'm still seeing their matchbox comics until someone tells me that that might be uh, trademark infringement and I'll have to stop. But until then, Brian, have a good time on tour, man. Rock on. Hey everybody, my name is Frederick Gladney. Thanks for coming to my Kickstarter page and profile, checking me out. I'm a singer-songwriter who's been involved in music with songs I can remember singing in church growing up. So how are you doing there, Freddie? I'm good, I'm good. Just trying to finish moving in. Moving sucks. No matter when you do it or how you do it. Where are you moving from this time? I lived in Beverly Hills with Jason and I moved to the Valley. Yeah, so you're in a big city of dreams. <laughs> That's right. How long have you been on this musical quest? Not long. I mean, I've been doing music my whole life, but seriously trying to make it a career in like the secular pop world a little bit over a year maybe hey looked at your video and it, i believe it said that you went to a religious school for a while yeah in uh, in australia so how does that affect your music i'm a songwriter so because i'm a songwriter i get to control what comes out of my mouth and what i say i definitely want to write fun music i mean like bubblegum stuff you know stuff that might necessarily not have a lot of strong lyrical content but that isn't extremely negative or um, you know degrading to women per se you know I mean I definitely want to write stuff that's gonna relate to people that are my age teenagers young adults 
just the youth in America and abroad internationally too. But um, because of, of my faith, I try to not go too far off the deep end, as they call it. But I don't want to get it twisted as far as like my lyrics are not Christian lyrics. Do you really think in this type of industry and you not doing straight up Christian music, do you think you'll be able to hold on to your faith in that way lyrically? I do have a lot of friends and family out there that will be able to keep me grounded. Will it be a struggle? Yeah. But that's part of the struggle. That's part of a faith journey, you know what I mean? Like anybody has on this earth. Like it's not easy. If it was easy, everybody would do it. With that being said, I will have to place myself around a lot of people that might have different morals or ethics to me. And I'm okay with that. I have a lot of friends that aren't Christian or that don't share the same beliefs as me. And if anything, I share my faith with them. They can share some of their ideas with me. And if we both can become better people for it, then that's great. Why don't you tell me about your music? I think that's a slightly different question than me asking about your, I guess, your spirituality. The genre that I sing is pop R&B and hip hop. I've been told that I sound like Jason Derulo, Drake, people of that nature. Um, somebody that I've been fortunate enough to meet and collaborate with musically. We haven't done songs together, but we've just bounced ideas off of each other. It's Chris Brown. And yeah, that's been a blessing for me just because he's already on in the industry. And I dance as well. You probably saw that in my Kickstarter video. I did see so. that. That was pretty cool, actually. I never watched dancers that much, but you actually can dance. Thanks, man. Yeah, so dancing is a big part of what I do. So Chris, as far as performing goes, I, I respect a lot of what he does from a performance standpoint, as far as singing, dancing, and whatnot. How old are you? 24 years old. I guess you're around that Chris Brown, Rihanna type age also. Yeah, yeah. Taylor Swift I'm the same type age. age. Yeah. Taylor's like a year, a year and a half younger than me, I think. But um, yeah, roughly around the same age. My baby is crazy. The demo that I dropped a couple months ago called No Hard Feelings has three songs on it. She's more is what most people have connected to. A lot of ladies love that song. Um, even a lot of my homeboys and different fans that I have that are like high school kids and stuff like that, that are guys that like that song. The main reason I'm talking to you actually is because you smiled on your Kickstarter page. That's the only reason. Well, a lot of people don't smile? Probably like young brown guys. No, probably not. Well, that's good. Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to be, trying to keep it positive. Have fun. Yeah, probably a lot of young brown guys. Nah, I don't really see the smile part. So when I saw you smile, I was like, Ah, I think I'd like to reach out to this cat. Yeah, well, I definitely appreciate it. Thank you. And I know that's probably like a dumb reason, you know, just because somebody <laughs> smiles or something. That, that's what got me there. Do you have any influences from back in the day? Your mom, your dad, your parents, your, your, your relatives used to play, and so they've influenced you such that you've kind of inculcated that into your own music. Musically speaking, in the entertainment world, some of the people that I've looked up to that are a little bit before my time, but that I was able to kind of catch on to from my parents were Angie Stone, Brian McKnight, and Boys to Men, you know, Al Green, Marvin Gaye, as far as them being some of the first cats to really like lay their own vocals on top of each other as far as doubling vocals and then harmonizing, you know, with themselves. Marvin Gaye did that live at first, yeah. Some other ones are like the Beatles, 
from a songwriting perspective, the Beatles wrote thousands and thousands of songs. Yeah. And Nirvana as well. So you kind of epitomize that whole MTV cross-culture, everything all melding with each other type of, you got the Beatles, you got Nirvana, you got, you got Marvin Gaye, you got Al Green, you got Boys to Men or Brian McKnight or something like that. So you're all over the place. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> Next thing you know, you're going to be telling me Hawaiian music or something like that. I probably won't go that route, but you never know. Now, you said you love the ladies. All right, so what are the ladies telling you? Because they're always saying something. What are they telling you? Ah, they are always saying something. Uh, they're telling me to, to, to keep it coming. They said they want to hear more hits. But yeah, they love the dancing, the singing. As far as me being like a ladies' man or like this crazy sex symbol, I feel like I don't have time for the girls right now. I don't have time for a girlfriend right now. So with that being said, you know, I'm just focused on, on this music and making money and trying to do what I got to do so that I could be in a position one day to provide for my family and, and give them the things that they need and that they want and things like that. So the girls are kind of like the last thing on my list right now. <laughs> last thing on the list? Are they not going to want to hear that? They not going to want But okay. You know, you, you can edit that out. And you can just crop in this right here. It's all about the ladies. I love the ladies. I'm going to keep the hits coming for them. They already know that. They already know that's my inspiration. Let's go. <laughs> Why don't I just keep both of them? Here I am again. Got me daydreaming about you and I can't seem to stop now. Will I fall for another, fall for another? So we can just keep both in it. It'll show that you have a great <laughs> sense of humor. <laughs> that was cool. That was cool. I love the ladies. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Ladies. Every, everybody loves the ladies. For anyone out there who loves R&B music, who loves pop, who loves soul pop, who loves all the people that he said have influenced him, like the Marvin Gaye's and the Beatles and the Nirvana's and the... Boys, the men, and Al Green's of the world, along with the Chris Browns and the Rihanna's and the Taylor Swift's. Go to kickstarter.com and check out Freddie's record, man. He's out of Los Angeles, California, hitmaker town. So he's in the right place, Freddie, thanks for coming on the show. DJ Grandpa, I appreciate it, man. Kickstarter. My name is Carissa Lowe and I'm the creator and author of the children's book series Arlo. I created the Arlo series about five years ago just after a whole bunch of little kids started coming into my life. Those little kids Welcome to the show. Nephews. Thanks for having me. Who could resist someone who has a book with an elephant on it named Arlo? <laughs> That's the idea. <laughs> Yeah, cute and cuddly, and then you got the video with all the nice, beautiful children in it and stuff like that. Those are my nieces and nephews, yes. They don't talk on cue, do they? No, no. It was many, many minutes of footage to cut just those couple seconds in the video. I noticed one other thing in your video. You spoke about your first and your second book, right? Yes. You said or you mentioned that you had won awards 
but it seemed like you were being modest. You never spoke of what the awards were. Well, there's so many to list that I didn't have time. <laughs> um, so Arlo Goes to the Dentist was my first book. That was the one I published in 2011. Right. It first won gold at the Independent Book Awards in the children's and parenting categories. Right. Then in 2012, it was a finalist for the children's picture book category at the USA Best Book Awards. And then just this year, it got honorable mention at the San Francisco Book Festival for the children's category and was a finalist in the International Book Awards in also the children's picture book category. So you're living off this book for like three years or something? Yeah, it's been a couple of years. And so I kind of wanted to wait to take it to Kickstarter to be more established first. And I thought that would lower the risk and make people more comfortable with investing in it because they know that I've been doing this for a while and I've done two full book tours in California. I've done Northern and Southern California. So, yeah, I was just trying to lessen the risk and kind of work out all the kinks first before I took it to Kickstarter. Are you publishing it independently this time? They're all actually independently published. Oh, okay. So you did a book tour independently and all of that and won all the awards? Wow. Yes. (laughs) That's big. Yeah, it's a lot of work. And then I have a full-time job, too, to pay for all this because when you publish independently, you have to pay for everything yourself. So I have to do this all during my free time. In this economy, digital and all of that, and you get to keep all the money because you're doing it yourself. Yes, exactly. How's that feel, though? I love it. <laughs> I Yeah, I want to do independent because, well, first, I didn't want to wait and, like, kind of just put all my eggs in one basket and just shop around a manuscript for, like, possibly years and not even get anybody to look at it. I'm more of a do-it-yourself kind of person. <laughs> I don't like waiting. I'm not afraid of hard work. So I was like, well, I found out about this independent route, and I decided to do this myself. Because I was a PR major in college anyways, and so that's come in super handy. We were doing all the marketing and publicity for the books and book tours and stuff like that. Well, I guess maybe you should tell me a little bit about Arlo, you know? I created Arlo because I felt like there was a real hole in the children's book market for that new, really clean-looking kind of children's book with the modern kind of graphic design feel. But then all those books that did have that feel, they all kind of lacked a cohesive storyline. A lot of them were just like cute little stories and then they would just end. And I'd always buy them because they look really pretty on the bookstore shelves. Oh, they do. Right? I love those. And so I'd buy them and bring them home to read to my nieces and nephews and I would get to the end and I felt like it was so abrupt or like pages had been torn out and I was just super confused. And so I missed the good storytelling elements from like the books that I read when I was a kid. You know, just a good story that you're going to remember forever. But also I want to combine it with the new kind of modern look of children's books because I love those also. So I decided to do that. And then I specifically chose to do tackle kind of new situations or, I don't know, just books in general that just teach the kids something. So that's also something I noticed that was missing from a lot of the books. I mean, books when I was a kid always had a moral or, you know, some kind of lesson for you to take away from it. I was a big Rudyard Kipling fan. When I was a kid. Awesome. Yeah, I loved like 
Bernstein Bears and Curious George and, you know, all the classic. And so I decided to tackle specifically first situations because, you know, when you're little, everything's potentially a new situation that they've right. never encountered before, which could be scary. So the first book I tackled going to the dentist for the first time. Um, and then the second book was going on an airplane for the first time. And then with this newest book, I decided to kind of stray away a little bit from the first time kind of books. And I wanted to get kids excited about eating fruits and vegetables. And so Arlo is going to the farmer's market in the third book. I'm looking at your Kickstarter page. I've watched your video. Mm -hmm. Of course, I say that to everybody. I watch your video. But, yeah. but, but <laughs> I look at the Arlo guy. And he looks like a book that I feel as though I've bought already. You know, it's like, didn't I get that book already from somebody? And then I talked to my children. They're like, yeah, we have Arlo somewhere on the shelf. And I was like, I swear we do. I swear we But I'm not sure. But I guess I'm just trying to give you a compliment that, it, that the artwork is so cool that it feels like I must own it already. Oh, thank you. You know, you picked some pretty good stories. The dentist is always scary, child or adult. Right? I know. I still am, like, a little bit anxious when I go to the dentist. I hope whomever's listening is not a dentist. But, I mean, in general, nobody likes the dentist. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> yeah, nobody's like, yay, I have a dentist appointment today. <laughs> so, I mean, I thought if you, if you create, you know, a positive, like help kids think about it in a positive light you know when they're right. young hopefully it will translate into less fear when they're older too you know to learn more about arlo the elephant go to kickstarter.com and type in arlo that's a-r-l-o i want to thank carissa for coming on the show and i'd also like to thank matt dine a former crib guest for lending us the background music for carissa's piece matt has a new album out, thanks to Kickstarter, called Me, Myself, and Albinoni. We'll post links at djgrandpa.com. Oh, hi. I'm Matt Kelly. I'm a comic book creator from Long Island, and uh, I'm here to tell you about our Kickstarter for Annabelle Avery, Steampunk Girl, Through the Steam Portal, Volume 1. Annabelle Avery, Steampunk Girl, Comic Book, Volume 1, on Kickstarter. Why did you choose a female steampunk person instead of a, a guy or something? Because I, I see that trend on Kickstarter a lot, you know, um, heroin as the subject. I'm married to a very strong female, and she's a uh, great lady, and they've always been my favorite characters, and uh, so that's why I went with that. What about you, Mike? Do you have a reason? I'm much like Matt. I prefer female characters. Definitely Marvel and DC are really lacking in that, where they keep trying to relaunch the same old characters and just revamp them and alienate the people that love those characters more and more and never create new ones. They don't support female characters very well. Independent comics does support female characters very well. And our culture really enjoys, you know, watching women be strong and powerful and independent. 
you know, we should get down to business and actually talk about your heroine, Annabelle Avery, steampunk girl, or the steampunk girl. We started it out as like a webcomic, and then we went from there. But I had this idea for this, you know, girl in Victorian England who sort of like, you know, take pride and prejudice and mix it with uh, Indiana Jones. Oh, okay. How old is Steampunk Girl? She's about 17 years old. She was uh, kicked out of a uh, finishing school for being so strong-willed. As the story opens, she's traveling with her uncle, who's the Minister of Technology, across Europe on sort of a secret mission that uh, no one's supposed to really know about. I didn't know I liked steampunk until I came to Kickstarter. And then I started interviewing people and they started, people like yourselves, and they started talking about steampunk and I realized I had been watching it all the time, like 30,000 leagues underneath the sea. Yeah, 20. This is like 20,000 leagues. Actually, you just hit upon something that Matt and I hit upon too, because about a year ago, I realized that I'm really into steampunk. I just didn't know that was steampunk. Yeah. A lot of Jules Verne stuff, a lot of, you know, old-timey stuff. And and it's been in and out of our, our lives in a way that you don't really pick up on it. But once you put it all together, it's there. And I know Matt kind of went through the same thing. And it's just this vast, untapped wealth of interesting ideas and stories and open territory you know and and that's one of the things that really attracted me to to matt's story and in creating the story from the webcomic to the graphic novel there's been a lot of time that matt allowed me to invest in in developing the world and making everything work in the world so we travel to india and there's a floating city and we travel to new york city and New York hasn't been colonized by the Europeans, so it's still Native Americans, but the Native Americans have Adobe skyscrapers and <laughs> and their own version of steampunk technology. It's been just a joy for me to be able to dig deep and create all this stuff and build it on top of Matt's story, which you know I fell in love with when you sent me the first script. How did you guys meet? Mike and I met. We met at a uh, message board somewhere in the uh, dark corners of the internet uh, talking about comic book art and talking about project ideas. So I kind of was just throwing out this idea of like this cool alternate reality steampunk world where, you know, kind of history took a different course. And so he was like, yeah, yeah, that sounds kind of cool. Steampunk is interesting. And and so we just started collaborating. And from the get-go, you know, I feel like Mike is sort of like my brother from another mother. We've just collaborated you know, we've seen things the same way, and, and uh, it's been awesome. We just had a great time working together. Is this your first project on Kickstarter? Yeah, this is Matt. Yeah, this is my first, and I think Mike's first project on Kickstarter. And uh, it's a really amazing community. I mean, from the day we launched it, we've had just random people reaching out to us and supporting us. It's just such a great environment to get involved in. And I knew that this was going to be the future, you know, being patrons and supporting uh, independent artists and creators. So you really believe in that, huh? That whole supporting each other, independent artists and creators type of thing. This is Mike. I went to art school and one of the things that we learned in the community of the school I went to, which was you're competing with each other and certainly you're going to be competing with each other for jobs, but it's still an us against them kind of mentality. The creative types have to get 
the non-creative types to recognize what you're doing and hopefully afford a living for you with it. Right. And Kickstarter lets you do that. You get to produce your art. You get to produce what you want to do and put it out to the world and see if the world's going to support it or not. And everybody who is doing the same thing is very supportive of you because it's all the same goal. For anyone out there, you like a female role model, positive one. She's totally out there. She's taking names and numbers. She's doing spy missions. She's traveling all around the country, all sorts of gadgets. Go to kickstarter.com and type in Annabelle Avery. That's spelled A-N-N-A-B-E-L-L-E, Avery, A-V-E-R-Y. She's the steampunk girl, and it's part of the comic book volume one. And I'd like to thank Mike and Matt, the co-creators of this series, for coming on the show. Well, thanks. I appreciate it. Hi, everybody. I'm George. And I'm Matt. And we're here to tell you about a great new game called Chromancer. I'm going to tell you the truth. I know nothing. I mean, I have questions. <laughs> well, my name is George Mosry, and uh, I'm here on the line with uh, John Paul uh, Gagnon-Muzakis, who's my partner and one of the founding members of Chromancer. We're an online trading card game, and we're using Kickstarter to launch ourselves. We're lifelong card game players, and we've decided to put this product online for a number of reasons. I'd say the two major reasons are that, in the first place, we feel like as card games have gone online, they've lost some of the things that made them great when they were offline, when they are on the tabletop, and we're trying to bring those things back. And in the second place, we just have a really great game that's extremely innovative and that's not more of the same. Now, this is an industry where when people are into card games and they play a lot of them, they tend to find that every game they play seems kind of like every other game they've played. Uh, they're very, very similar. The rules are very similar. The, the way you win is very similar. Our game is very different, very new. So we're finding in, in just our initial testing that guys that enjoy card games and that have been playing these things for 10 years or more are fascinated by our game because for the first time in a long time, they really have to think very differently about how to play a card game. And that's obviously exciting for people. Would you label this almost like a second generation of online card trading games? Yeah, I think that's fair. And the difference from a game mechanics perspective is that the point of this game is not the traditional just trying to beat your opponent directly. In most games, you know, the opponent has a score and you have a score, sort of an amount of life is usually how it's referred to. And you're playing the whole game trying to reduce that number of your opponent down to zero. And whoever brings his opponent to zero first wins the game. That's kind of the whole premise of the way most of these games work. Right. We've taken that totally outside the box, and we've said, the way this game is going to play is you're going to sit across the table from somebody, and you're going to say, I have a deck of cards in front of me, and I have a discard pile in front of me, and I have a little pool of resources, a little pile of coins or something, and I'm literally going to try to stop you from using your deck and your discard pile and your pile of coins. So it's like you're playing a game where the whole point of the game is to stop the opponent from being able to play normally. And it just changes the way you have to think about card games in general. No, no, it sounds like a strategy game, so I'm starting to understand it. This is John Paul. It's very much a strategy game, and one of the things that we've introduced, and you know, this isn't necessarily something that nobody else has done, but 
it definitely kind of plays into the strengths of our gameplay. But one of the things that we've done is introduced a very strong positional aspect to the gameplay. Meaning? So it's almost like uh, there are some elements, if you will, of a board game. Because as you play down your cards, the positioning of the layout, where you move your cards on a game board, right. uh, which is kind of where the, the area of play is, it matters a lot. And it'll affect kind of how the game plays out. Now, do you feel as though you've explained the mechanics of the game well enough for, you know, the layman to be able to understand? What I'll say about the game is that it's a really fun game. One of the card games that I really enjoy uh, playing is poker. And one of the reasons I enjoy playing poker is because it's not always about what you hold. It's also about what your opponent holds. And playing that game well kind of depends on understanding what your opponent's going to do and trying to outwit him. And our game plays kind of like that. And that's a bit new in the trading card game industry to an extent. There's bluffing, there's tactics, there's a lot of the play revolves around trying to figure out what is most important to your opponent and then trying to disable him in an equivalent way. How many people can play this game at one time? The game itself, when you sit down and play with somebody, is one-on-one. It's a dual game, so you're actually playing against one other person. I should add, though, that as is the case with a lot of online games, we're going to have guilds, uh, which are basically groups of people, usually friends, that come together to play together collectively. So we're probably going to have some modes of the game where you are in a team kind of a context. Um, And, you know, you might enter a tournament, one team against another team or something like that. Okay. Like I said, me being a novice, what have I forgotten? What have I overlooked? I think probably the most interesting thing about what we're doing for somebody who totally doesn't play card games is that we're pretty much pioneering a new concept in online gaming, which many other companies have taken up as well. But in our particular industry, I think we're the first to do it. And that is that we're using something called persistent virtual goods. And that, that is what it sounds like. It's virtual goods that people own. So, you know, they have a bunch of cards on their account that don't really exist. They're digital, but we treat them like they're real. So it means that, you know, for example, if you buy 10 cards off of our online store, those 10 cards are actually, they've actually come from a digital print run, which is a single limited print run. Every card has a serial number on it. It's never going to be destroyed and it's never going to be duplicated. So if you are somebody who's going to stick around for a while and, you know, in year one, you buy a couple cards in the alpha edition, then a few years later, uh, if you want to trade those cards on the market, you're going to find that they've gone up in value because uh, those are alpha edition cards that have never been reprinted. That reality of trading, which exists in the real world, has been lost in most online games, which... Uh, basically just print unlimited copies of things. And I, I actually understand that. <laughs> well, yeah. And one, one thing that I'll add, uh, just kind of following off of what George is saying, is that this is something that for us as a, as a company isn't necessarily the route to profit maximization. It would be obviously a lot easier for us to simply uh, you know, press a button and uh, you know, digitally print an infinite number of copies of the same card whenever we needed it, uh, not pay anything more, not do anything more. The way that it is now, or the, the model that we're trying to introduce here, is something whereby whenever we need to increase the supply of cars, because let's say you know tomorrow we, um, we increased our player base by another thousand people, and so those people need access to cars, and, and let's say there isn't enough supply in the system, you know, when, we, when we 
conduct a second, a follow-on print run, it will be, like what George was implying, a different edition. And that's a different edition that's differentiated by new artwork, uh, maybe different types of borders, some kind of substantive way that people can say, oh, this is from this edition, this is from that edition. And so as a collector, I want to be collecting kind of old editions, newer editions, etc. And that costs us money because whenever we you know, print something with new artwork, we have to pay for that artwork. Okay. The more important part of what it does is it, it girds the investment uh, of the player. It means if you're going to be willing to spend time or money with our game, we are going to make sure that that time and that money investment is protected. I mean, you've dumbed it down so much that, that even I understand now, and I appreciate that. You made it dummy-proof, and that's what I needed, man. I just needed it the, the, the one plus one equals two. I feel as though you've done that now because I didn't know where in the world how I was going to pull this interview off because I kept reading the material and I was like, I don't know, man. It's not necessarily so obvious because it's a fairly new thing. But at the end of the day, this is going to be obvious to people in 10 years or 20 years because this is exactly where all of this is going. Right. As people invest real time and real money into virtual products and they're doing that more and more, it's just a fact that those things have value. And so sooner or later, people are going to say, hey, you know, if I'm willing to spend just hours and hours and weeks and weeks of my time and money on this, you know, you had darn well better protect my investment. Right. Sooner or later, it's going to just be that uh, a lot of this online, uh, these online goods are, and this online currency is interchangeable with real currency. That's almost getting there now. I think I'm going to describe it as, I'm going to sum it, sum it up as, you guys are just not another MP3. <laughs> I, I hope not. <laughs> right. Something special about it. I can understand that now. And, and I can say to the listener that I think that John Paul and George, have, I think they've dumbed it down for me, man. And that's what I needed. And there's no disrespect to anyone who's listening who, who got it, you know, eight minutes ago, who understood what he was talking about. But I didn't. But for those of you who understand and need more information, go to kickstarter.com, go to chromancer.com and check it out for yourself. And that's chromancer, C-H-R-O-M-A-N-C-E-R. It's an adaptive strategy online trading card game. And I guess the emphasis is that they're trying to say that it's actually a trading card game because the cards will have value as time goes on instead of it just being another pretty face, another one million of the same card in a bunch. That's right. And I'd like to thank you two gentlemen for coming on the show and explaining it to me so eloquently. Well, thank well, you thank so much for, for having us. For having us, yeah. I'd like to thank all our guests. I'd also like to thank our listeners. Each week, we couldn't do it without you guys. A special thanks goes out to Trevor Williams and to my mentor, The Mumbler, for providing music to DJ Grandpa's Crip. Thanks to Jeffrey Banks, Bertram Zeke, and Aaron Levine, our assistant editors. Until next week, so say we all. The homepage for DJ Grandpa's Crib is djgrandpa.com. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter, DJ Grandpa's Crib, all one word. 
please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, which helps other people discover the show. And don't forget to leave a comment while you're there. Our producer is Von Rupert. The executive producer of this and all Bedrock Communications podcasts is AF Rupert. Thank you.